and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. I'm Leslie Hawthorne. I'm a co-host on the Sustain podcast. And for my day job, I work as a senior manager in Red Hat's open source program office. Really excited today to be here with my fabulous co-host, Abby Mays. Abby, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, very glad to be here. For my day job, I'm senior program manager at GitHub. So we have all very similar titles, I just realized. <laughs> Absolutely. And we are very pleased to have with us today on the podcast, Dr. Brian G. Barenhausen, who is a senior open source program manager at GitLab, where he manages programs that help open source projects on GitLab grow, succeed, and thrive. And prior to this role, Brian worked in Red Hat's open source program office with yours truly as a learning and enablement materials specialist and as a writer and editor for opensource.com. He works extensively with the open organization project and community. Welcome, Brian, and it's so great to see you once again. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for having me, and and thanks so much for doing the podcast. I'm a big fan of it, and I think you all discussed some really important topics, and I appreciate the chance to be here. Excellent. So my first question, which is also a personal curiosity question, since we okay. haven't had a chance to catch up. Brian, tell me more about your work at GitLab and some of the programs you're working on. Yeah, well, I'm happy to. As Abby mentioned, we all have similar titles here. I'm as you said, Leslie, Senior Open Source Program Manager at GitLab. And that role is part of developer relations, which itself is embedded in the marketing organization. And so like my team members, I work at the interface between GitLab, the company, and the wider GitLab community, which is where I love to work in open source, as you know, Leslie. And again, because we're an open core product, we are always interested in the health, the vitality, the well-being of the GitLab developer community. Very important to us. But I would say that a distinction between my role and the role of some of the others on my team is while others on my team, for example, my colleagues and contributor success, are focused on contributions to GitLab, I'm focused more on open source contributions on GitLab, right? Focused on the open source projects and communities that are using GitLab as their home base and are using it to drive the open source state of the art forward. So really empowering and assisting in whatever way I can open source projects that choose to develop with GitLab just to make sure they have what they need to succeed. And really my job involves shining a spotlight on the great open source work that is happening on GitLab all the time. I do this through various programs, which we can talk about in a little while if you'd like. And also at GitLab, I help with the organization's various consortium memberships, ensure that we're participating effectively upstream in those things and in various standards bodies and, and industry consortia and what have you. So a multifaceted role, and I like it very much. Thanks for asking. Thanks so much for the thorough answer. So... In terms of some of the work that you're doing with maintainers who are building on GitLab, are there any specific things that GitLab provides that are there to support maintainers and in keeping with our themes to stay in open source? Yes, absolutely. So we're very concerned with open source sustainability because, again, as an open core product, like we are built on open source bricks and we owe it to the open source ecosystem of which we are a part to make sure that that ecosystem is healthy and vibrant and has what it needs. And so I'll talk about two programs that we offer to help sustain open source projects, communities using GitLab. The first is the GitLab for open source program. And that's a program under which 
qualifying open source projects receive GitLab Ultimate subscriptions for free, no cost. And I say qualifying because to be eligible for that program, projects need to meet three criteria. The first is that they need to be open source. And by that, we mean they need to carry an OSI approved open source license. We follow the OSI's guidance on what is and is not an open source project. So project needs to carry an OSI approved license. They need to be publicly accessible and open to collaboration and contribution from anyone. You can't have private projects. Our our goal is to foster public collaboration around open source. And you must be a not-for-profit seeking project, right? So you can, you know, solicit donations, of course, from your community contributors. But if you have a revenue generating model or you're part of a, a business, you aren't eligible for the program. But other projects, you know, foundation-backed project projects or you know, charity-backed projects or user-backed projects are. So if the project meets these criteria, they can apply and we'll review those eligibility criteria. And if they qualify, we'll send them a subscription for a year and they can renew if they'd like. It's just our way of A, giving back to the open source ecosystem of which we are a part, on which we rely, and B, just a way to make sure that open source projects have access to all the tools at their disposal when they're using GitLab in order to succeed. So that's one program that we offer. The other program that I maintain that I really enjoy working on is a little more exclusive. It's the GitLab Open Source Partners Program. It consists of about 25 sort of high profile, really large scale open source communities that have set up shop on GitLab and are using GitLab to really, again, advance the open source state of the art. These are what I would call sort of our marquee open source projects. They represent what's possible for open source development, the cutting edge of A, the open source ecosystem and B, just GitLab more specifically, like they really push the boundaries of what's possible on GitLab. Folks that are listening to this podcast will recognize the names. We have major Linux distributions, Debian, Arch, Fedora are all partners, including downstream distributions from them. Manjaro is a partner. CentOS is a partner. And major desktop environments are partners. Gnome, XFCE, KDE are partners. But we don't just have sort of more, what I would guess I would call more conventional household names in desktop Linux. Like we also have some scientific institutions like the Square Kilometer Array Observatory, documentation projects like the Good Docs Project. Again, these are all projects that we feel like are just exemplary of what's possible for large-scale open source project development using a platform like GitLab. And partners receive certain benefits. Just to get back to the notion of sustainability for a minute, you know, partners receive certain benefits. One of them is we extend their gratis subscription from the 12 months to 36 months. They receive things like a private help and service desk that they can email to get some help from a group of volunteers inside GitLab who donate some of their time to assist open source projects. We offer opportunities to partner on storytelling, whether it's joint blog posts or case studies, presentations, things like that. And we hope that this raises their profile, makes them more visible on GitLab and to the wider open source world. And in return, we really just ask them to help us shine a spotlight on their work, interviewing them for our YouTube channel, co-writing tutorials and case studies with them. And those are things that I work on, right? So I'll sit down and cut a video for GitLab Unfiltered, our YouTube channel, or for the GitLab blog. These folks are pushing the boundaries of what's possible on GitLab. So we learn from them through the normal feedback loop of open source development, just as they're pushing things forward, but also as they are really forcing in some ways GitLab to do things that 
are on the bleeding edge of its capabilities. And so they help push the platform forward. As we know, open source development is generally at the cutting edge of software development. And so it behooves us to pay attention to what they're doing because more often than not, when we get bug reports and feature requests that are really insightful and useful, they come from open source projects and especially our partners. And also, though, it's important for this program and this community because others can learn from them too. They're pushing the boundaries and they're doing things with GitLab that others can emulate and we hope will emulate and learn from as they set up their own open source projects and communities on GitLab. And of course, one final note on, I think, sustainability, I think is really important, is maintainer sustainability. Partners, we hope that by being a member of the partner community, partners can help and learn from one another, right? Managing a large-scale open source project like a Linux distribution or a major desktop environment is difficult work, and it's often thankless work. So it's nice to have allies that can assist you with that work can share their best practices, can maybe answer questions that your community is having. Maybe they face roadblocks you've faced before, even just commiserate with you about difficult times or a tough code of conduct issue that they've had to mitigate or address or remediate. So these are all things that we hope having a community will do for the, a partner community will do for the ecosystem. I hope that's not too long-winded an answer for a very simple question. <laughs> no, that was amazing, Brian. And The more I listen to you speak, the more I realize that we have very similar jobs. Awesome. Competitors, but I think it's great that we're doing more and more for the open source ecosystem. There's definitely room for even more groups to be coming up and doing more things. So my questions might be a little bit in the weeds, since this is also what I think about every day. (laughs) That's great. Happy to have an interlocutor and partner who's in the weeds. I definitely agree with you that a lot of the maintainers are just looking for like that community. It's very lonely being a maintainer often. And I know on GitHub, we found that most of the social interaction that's happening on the platform where people are actually like interacting with each other and building a community is happening in only 1% of the repositories we have there. So I thought it was really important to work with like what you were saying, those like open source partners or those like highly invested folks, and then teach that to the, like the long tail of what's happening in open source and just share those best practices out. It sounds like you've tried a few things that have worked really well with like recording these YouTube videos and just giving them space to talk to each other. But have you seen like an actual uptick of like more community building happening like down the tail? Down that tail. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I would say it's getting there. Only working in this role for about a year. So that engine takes a little while to start up. But I would say early signs are promising because I find myself increasingly lately answering support tickets or email requests from open source program members with responses that sound like, hey, one of our open source partners is working on solving this. Here's the conversation, right? Here's the issue. Here's the merge request. And that's what I hope we can do more of. So I would say, yes, I hope. And early signs, shake my magic eight ball, early signs point to yes. That's amazing. I also started about a year ago. So I remember. I yeah. Remember. Yeah. We both you know, switched. We're working together. Yes. We were working on the open source way. So yeah, that was great. The other thing I wanted to ask with that first program you mentioned with private repositories, with the focus on open source security sure. and more investment there, how are you handling open source projects that just need a private repository for security releases and things like that? Yeah. Really glad you brought that up. Thanks. We offer exceptions for things like that. We have a doc, uh, cases documented in our handbook, which of course at GitLab is entirely public whenever it can be. So the entire handbook for the GitLab for Open Source and GitLab Open Source Partners Program are public. And so folks can read all our policies and procedures online. 
But we do have exceptions that we grant for cases like that. Security, personally identifying about information, like keys, tokens, things that would leak stuff that would make a project vulnerable. We, of course, offer exceptions for those things. There's just a quick email with a ticket that it opens up that comes to me. And I note that for our records so that if there's any discussion, I have the record of the exception request and the granting of the request. And then that's it. Not a big deal. We understand that that happens. So great to hear that you're actually sharing those policies and processes publicly, because I know that particularly given the current legislative environment, at least where I am here in Europe, it is important that folks have guideposts in that work. Leslie, we have that in common. We both work for organizations that are open by default. And so GitLab practice a management organizational operating model called TeamOps. And TeamOps is sort of how we package and share our best practices for working all remote and all distributed as a 2000 person company and a handbook first environment and a handbook first procedure or just simply a documentation first procedures, absolutely critical to surviving and thriving in that environment. So at GitLab, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist because we have no other place for infrastructure for this thing to be, right? So our infrastructure, our office, our joint sense of self is our handbook. Absolutely. I find that it is, of course, important to document everything. And I wonder if you want to share your perspective on this. I think it's so important to have that community facilitation muscle, because I find that people are very good at reading handbooks, but they're often in need of, again, that that community presence or that fellow traveler on the road to be able to feel like they can actually achieve what they have seen written down or documented as a best practice or how things should go. Yeah, for sure. We are active on Discord. That's where our contributors hang out. And that was one of these open source stories that you hear about all the time where we didn't set that up. But the community of GitLab contributors who were using the platform and making the most significant contributions to GitLab, they started a Discord server and it grew to the point where we got involved and eventually the community handed it over to GitLab. And now my teammates maintain it as part of their everyday work. So definitely not saying that a handbook solves all issues or that a handbook alleviates all need for synchronous interactions or touch points or anything like that, but does go a long way to interacting with community members. And especially in roles like mine and those of others on my team, it's infinitely easier to do community management when you aren't being opaque about policies and procedures from your organization, right? If there's ever a question from my community about why something is the way it is or why we made a decision that we made, it's quite easy for me to be able to say, here's the page of our company handbook that outlines that policy and here's why it's in place, right? And also you can see the Git history to see when it was you know, implemented and modified, right? So that goes a long way to building trust with the community. I'm very grateful that we operate that way because it makes my job very easy. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, talk about a mark of trust and high praise that the community would have started their own Discord server and then handed it over to you folks to run and maintain. That's phenomenal. Yeah, well, and again, you go where your people are. That's where our people were. I really love that. And I think, yeah, both GitLab and Red Hat have done a great job of document just running as an open source project itself and documenting everything there. It's interesting that you're using Discord. Has there been any talk around like trying to use your own platform to build up this community? No, not really. I mean, there's been more talk around, hey, Discord's proprietary. Are we okay with that? That's been the more pressing conversation. But in the end, the consensus is, hey, the community started this. You can't replicate 
community is very difficult to build and very easy to lose. And if this is where they are, and if this is what they want, we're going to engage there. And we have, and all signs point to success there. So understand what you're saying, but in our book, no, it's about going where our people are. Oh, that's great. And it's great that you're able to build on the community that they've already started. Yeah. And going back a bit to when we were last working together and the open source, what did we call it? The open leadership assessment, assessment kit, open leadership assessment. Yeah. 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 yeah, On open organization. Yeah. Yeah. We're working on the open leadership assessment. Yeah. That was part of the open organization community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was great. And I loved that group. And I'd love to hear, have you been continuing any work around this open source community governance models? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say those are probably two different avenues. I can address them both. So in terms of the open leadership assessment, I'll just give some context for folks listening. When I was at Red Hat, I was community lead for one of our communities, our upstream communities called the Open Organization Project, which is essentially a project that tries to imagine what 21st century organizations would look like if open principles sat at the heart of them, right? How open source principles impact the way we think about organizational culture and design. And it's just a fantastic project. I still work with them. They're still very active. And I serve as an ambassador for that community whenever I can. And as part of that work, we developed a lot of resources on open leadership. What does open leadership mean? Or more broadly, what does leadership look like in a so-called open organization? When openness and open principles sit at the heart of your organizational culture and operating model, how does leadership change because it has to, the nature of leadership changes. And so we did a lot of work. We wrote the Open Organization Leaders Manual, which is one of our most downloaded books and best received books. And as part of that, we developed the open leadership definition. What is an open leader? We developed that definition. And then to operationalize that definition, Abby, as you mentioned, we developed an open leadership assessment, which is essentially a tool that organizational actors can use to assess their leadership styles to see how open or not open they are vis-a-vis the open leadership definition. So really proud of that work. My colleague, Heidi Hesvan Ludwig, was the project lead on that, did some amazing work on that. And she and I will be speaking about it at All Things Open in October. We got accepted to, to talk about there. So I'm really thrilled, A, to be back in Raleigh and B, to be speaking about one of my favorite projects with one of my favorite people. So So yes, I guess the short answer is yes, we're continuing that work. And I know Heidi is really invested in continuing to refine that tool, which of course is open source and available for community members to look at, to fork, to modify, to make suggestions against. We will talk about it in broad strokes at All Things Open. And then as you also noted, Abby, so we were also working on another open source project that I helped with at Red Hat when I was there in the open source program office, which is the open source way, which is really a book length collection of open source maintainership best practices, open source leadership and project maintainership best practices, like how to do open source. In other words, what is the open source way? How do we apply that to how we operate in the software development space? And so it was really, again, a book length collection of hard won knowledge (laughs) from the field with different authors. You know, Abby, you wrote for it. Leslie, you wrote for it. I wrote a chapter on, co-wrote a chapter with some colleagues on community governance models, which is just one of my pet topics in open source. I just think that open source communities are really fascinating petri dishes of self-organization and self-governance. They're constant experimentation in new modes of those things, self-organization and self-governance. And so I am always fascinated to watch how they operate 
how each one is sort of like its own little unique universe of rules and regulations and power distribution and decision-making processes and distribution of authority and, and all that. And so I still continue to, to read and, and write on, on those topics whenever I can. And thank you again for being a phenomenal editor and collaborator and helping me do some of my best work. I was actually just reminded this morning about the uh, communication channels chapter, actually. So yes, Leslie's chapter for the open source ways on communication channels in open source projects, one of the most requested and from what I understand, one of the most widely read chapters. So, oh, that is fantastic. That makes me feel good. Ryan, one of the things that's coming up for me is you've been talking through your work in open leadership and also understanding the processes by which communities or self-organize and self-govern is how do you see the interplay between the work that people do in communities and the work they do for their employers? So communities are self-governing, they have their own processes. And yet, as folks who are employed by our companies, we have, to some extent, two different sets of stakeholders that we need to keep happy. So how do you see that interplay working? And what are some some of your thoughts on that? It's a great question. It's one of the reasons I both love working in open source and am continually frustratingly challenged by it, we'll say, right? It's one of the things that animates my learning, my continual learning at work, because it is a really rich and interesting friction-filled space. So I think the dynamic is really interesting here, depending on the way that organization is trying to engage with an open source project. There are some open source projects that are corporate or organization-driven, right? They're started they're initiated, they are governed and maintained by an organization, whether that's a for-profit company or a nonprofit, doesn't matter. And I want to say in some ways, those can be easier to maintain with regard to contributor guidelines and things, just because those organizations get to set the tone and they get to set the rules. It's much more difficult when an organization wants to join already ongoing upstream open source project. And that involves two things. It involves playing by the project's rules, which is absolutely necessary for successful engagement with an open source project. But it also means in a lot of cases, and I know this is near and dear to your heart, Leslie, educating internally your stakeholders on how to engage with that project. And it's not because people are crass and it's not because people are tactless and it's not because you don't trust them. And it's not because it's because engaging with open source communities is a very particular skill set and a very particular kind of knowledge that often is won through experience. And some of those experiences are cannot be great. <laughs> you know, if folks go into projects and find themselves being ignored or chastised or what have you, it paints the contributors in a bad light and it paints the organization in a bad light. So I think what you have is like a proliferation of open source program offices in organizations that are specifically designed to mitigate these risks that are less focused on, shouldn't say that, as always, they are focused on compliance and making sure that organizations are compliant and avoiding the risks that might be inherent in contributing intellectual property to a project they don't totally own or control. But increasingly what I'm seeing and what we're seeing, and I know you both understand this, is open source program offices focused on contributor education and stakeholder education, helping develop best practices internally for contributing to open source projects so that you mitigate the cultural risks, the PR risks, the 
brand risks to your organization because for better or for worse, and in my case, for the better, participation in open source projects is all but unavoidable today as an organization. And so everybody has to learn how to play together. I'm not sure if that answered your question, just kind of ruminating on that difficult space, Leslie. I feel well served, sir. That's definitely something I've been seeing a lot more this past year too, just people at companies diving into open source projects with a lot of expectations and sometimes a lot of entitlement. So is GitLab doing anything to help provide these kinds of guidelines either for GitLab employees or for other companies trying to jump into open source? Yeah, our handbook has some basic guides and tutorials, but we do not have at the moment an open source, a full-fledged, fully staffed open source program office. I run open source programs as part of our developer relations, and we have a lot of open source knowledge circulating around the organization in the ether already. But we are still working on, I think, the formal engagement tutorials, which is something I welcome and I think we'll get to. That's great. I've been hesitant to ask you this question, but I think I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and ask it. I personally believe, although I've not gotten to spend a lot of time with Abby, that we are probably all in agreement that this function within the organization to help make sure that folks who are contributing to open source projects are doing so in a way that is authentic and valuable both to their company and to the project itself is deeply important. And yet I have also seen in our industry, especially in the technology industry, that a lot of folks have cut back on their open source program office staff as we've been in more difficult economic times. And one question that I've been asking friends on social media is, how do we effectively articulate the value of that glue work or that social work to leadership so that it is something that can be understood by them as measurable, quantifiable benefit to the bottom line? And if you can answer that well, that is the million euro question. I'd be writing a book and my day job would be, I'd just be an author. But I think... Leslie, you and I have benefited from, and I keep referring to Leslie just because I know we've both worked for similar employers and organizations. And Abby, this is probably likely true for you too, but we've had the benefit of working for an organization that open source strategy is business strategy. They are in many ways synonymous, right? And it's the same at GitLab from the CEO all the way down to the new hire on their first day. Open source is a part of the education and it's a stressed facet of how the organization succeeds and how not just financially, just how it succeeds in the market and how it succeeds as a brand and so on and so forth. And so I've been spoiled insofar as I've worked for organizations where that has been the case, right? From the top all the way down, open source strategy has been synonymous with business strategy. In some organizations, that's not always the case. And that is much more difficult, but the onus is on, in that case, the onus is on the open source program office staff, for better or for worse, to help make that connection clear. What way is open source and doing open source work helping the organization achieve a very specific business goal? Open source for open source's sake, while it resonates with some, it's just not an effective internal sales tool. And that's the sort of underpants gnome approach to open source strategy, right? Step one, open source. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. I don't know if that necessarily translates into a compelling business strategy for a lot of senior leaders in organizations. But for what reason is the organization engaging in open source work? That reason is a business reason. We want to generate a community. We want to accelerate development. We want to undercut 
development velocity of, of our competitors, whatever it may be. There's a number of reasons, as we all know, for a business to engage in, in open source work. But making that case clear is, is critical for an open source program office or anybody that's interested in an organization's open source strategy. Open source is not a business model. <laughs> there are business models that incorporate or that depend on open source licensing decisions and upstream open source work. But open source is not a business model. Yeah, absolutely. I like to frame it as best I can as there are certain business outcomes that you're trying to achieve and you will achieve them in a less friction-filled way and get to those outcomes faster provided the right tools are provided. And some of those tools are how to have the most effective social interactions and how to help people meet people where they are Mm -hmm. so that everyone feels like their needs are well-served. Couldn't agree with you more. So we are coming towards the end of our usual recording time. But Brian, is there anything that we haven't asked you that we should have? Oh, boy. I don't think so. We got to talk about all my favorite things. We got to talk about governance and open organizations and GitLab. I think that was pretty good. So, folks, at the end of each episode of Sustain, we go ahead and ask everyone on the podcast to go ahead and share something that has provided value to us, impacted our career, our life. This could be person, it could be a project, it could be anything. And it's an attempt to show gratitude to these projects, these maintainers, these things in our life that have given us sustenance and given us reasons for joy. So, Brian, would you like to share your spotlight? Happy to. My go-to spotlight is always my favorite open source project, which is word processor for the Linux command line called WordGrinder. WordGrinder is a project that's been going on for, I think, more than a decade now. It was what today folks would call a sort of quote-unquote distraction-free writing tool. Although when WordGrinder was founded, I don't know if that sort of term was part of the vernacular or not. But It is a command line driven word processor that is just a fantastic writing tool. It's a a tool for first and foremost for writers, not for coders, which is what I am when I use my Linux desktop. I'm writing prose, not code. And so this is one of the best tools I've found for getting writing work finished. It allows you to edit, maintain various drafts, create, save, move around snippets, manage large document sets a whole host of things. And it's just a fantastic tool. Export into a number of widely used open formats. And so I'm always grateful to the maintainer of WorkGrinder, who I've never met and never gotten a chance to talk to, but I hope understands how much I appreciate his work and hope that that can continue. That's my spotlight. I hope everyone will check out WordGrinder on your favorite Linux distribution. It's available for as far as I understand, all major desktop Linux distributions. Terrific. Abby, would you like to share your spotlight? So I've been at a couple events where I'm working the booth occasionally, and we often don't have enough swag for everyone that wants some swag. So this way, people can just comment on an issue. And then at the end of the week or in the conference, I can just run this random name picker and it will like do a fun animation of all of the people who commented Say you win. And then I do a big splash and give them the cool prize. So I just want to highlight that very useful and very fun for someone (laughs) at a conference. And it's great. So thank you, Islam, who maintains this and made it. I've never met this person either. They do great work. (laughs) (laughs) It's very cool. Yeah, that is super cool. My spotlight is actually in keeping with our earlier conversation about being reminded about chapters in the open source way. I had occasion to read the 
chapter on communication and open source projects today from the Turing Way, which is a guidebook for folks who are working in the data science area to do reproducible research and for folks who are working specifically in the data science area. And it includes guides for collaboration, guides for communication, and guides for ethical research. So that's an open community. And I'm really excited to dive deeper into that resource that I do not understand how it could possibly have passed me by. And uh, this is actually curated by the Turing Institute. So that's, I think, pretty super groovy. So, dear friends, we have come to the end of yet another episode of Sustained. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us and sharing your thoughts and wisdom with us. Plenty of thoughts. I don't know how much wisdom. (laughs) Plenty of thoughts. It's been been a pleasure. And it's just so great to see you both. There was some good wisdom there, Brian. Don't sell yourself short. Agreed. (laughs) 100% agreed. All right, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. And once again, if you have any feedback, you can email us at podcast at sustainoss.org. Please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we are at sustainoss on Twitter. And if you'd like to, you can also join us on our discourse forum at discourse.sustainoss.org. We look forward to seeing you next time. Cheers. Cheers.